The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning. Welcome to you this morning in the name of Jesus. It is good to have you here. Welcome to you visitors. Thank you so much for uh, choosing to be here with us. We are honored by your presence and uh, glad to worship with you. And if you're tuning in on the live stream, I want to thank you for joining us that way as well. I know Monivis Stevens is watching, so our hearts and prayers are with you. And uh, <laughs> it's good to be here with you this morning. As David mentioned in his elder moment, we had kind of a big thing that flew a little bit under the radar that we did move our offices, as he said, from uh, over at Bradley Square to up to our new location. So that is very exciting. Uh, something worth celebrating this morning. It'll be nice to have eyes and ears kind of on the ground out there as we get ready to move into this next stage of renovation out there. So I'm excited for that with, with all of you. And this morning, we are continuing the sermon series, You Are What You Love. Uh, but it's also a bit of an anomaly in our preaching rhythm for the reason that today will be the second time this year that I've preached from Ephesians 5. Uh, that I, I'm not prone to, to do reruns, and I assure you that this is not a rerun, so hopefully you will be able to stay awake. But I, I, we are going to revisit Ephesians chapter 5 this morning, verses 15 through 20, and I think it's actually a testament to the diversity and the power of the Word of God that you can return to it again and again and again and hear different voices and messages and themes from the Spirit. So I'll be praying that we, we will hear a fresh word from God this morning still. As we continue, you are what you love. So let's do that in Ephesians 5, if you've got your Bibles, starting in verse 15. Paul writes, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times. And for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? God, we give thanks to you this morning. And we want to give thanks to you at all times, God. We want to make melody to you in our hearts. We want to praise your name. We want to worship you. And we want our hearts to be pointed and directed at your kingdom through that worship. God, teach us how to do that. Help us to catch the wind of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And I pray for the gift of preaching this morning and that you would open our hearts and ears to a message from your gospel. And it's the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Why do we do this? Those words hung in the air like the banner off of an airplane for me. We were actually standing in the auditorium after service one Sunday morning, Sunday morning not unlike this one, 
Uh, when she asked me those five words, why do we do this? And, and I have to admit, I, I didn't really have a coherent answer at the time. It kind of caught me off guard, and I, I re- realized that she was referring to worship, to Sunday morning, uh, to why we spend hour after hour singing, preaching, praying, confessing. Why do we do this? And maybe some of you, uh, sitting in this auditorium, sitting in our last location, or at some other sanctuary somewhere, have thought those exact five words. I'd be lying if I said uh, similar thoughts haven't crossed my mind before. And if they have crossed your mind, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here because this is actually one of the underlying questions one of the underlying threads that is going to run throughout this series of You Are What You Love. That as Ben introduced last week, we're talking about humans as lovers. And we're talking about not primarily as thinkers, but as lovers. And we're talking about how worship shapes those loves and wants and desires toward God and His kingdom. And so implicit within this sermon series is going to be that question of why do we do this? Why do we come here hour upon hour, week upon week, season after season? And so I'm excited to begin exploring that with you this morning. And let me, let me just dive back into our text one more time before we get going. In Ephesians 5.15, it says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. Singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So worship and time. Worship and time. That is what's at the heart of this text this morning. You see in verse 16, Paul says, making the most of the time. And what that literally means is redeeming the time. Literally translated, it's redeeming the time. So there's this redemptive aspect of Christian time, of how we live into time. And so that's, that's in the first half of the, the passage there, but secondly, notice the, the second half here. Notice that, that Paul assumes that a significant portion of time, a significant important part of time, is going to be devoted to worship. That, that Paul assumes part of the Christian life of living wisely inherently is directed toward worshiping God. Making melody to the Lord's in your, in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times, he says. So time is this deeply vital part of the Christian life, and Paul thinks that worship is going to be what it is pointed towards. But let's be honest, our society doesn't tend to view time spent on worship quite like we do, right? Our society tends to, to, 
not view that as a very credible spending of the time that we have, right? Because why would you? Why would you be here? It gets back to that question. Why do we do this? Why would you get up on a good Sunday morning when you could be sleeping in, you could be gearing up for football, you could be getting your Sunday fun day brunch on? That's a thing. (laughs) Trust me. So why would you be here? Why do we spend this time singing, preaching, praying, confessing? And so before we dig further into that this morning, I want to step back, I want to zoom out, and talk a little bit about how time affects us in general. So, so let's zoom out macro level, and as a global view of time, how does time work? Well, the first thing that we can note about time is that it would be hard to name something more public than time, right? Time is this this quantifiable, agreed-upon status all around the world in different time zones. The invention of clocks and calendars has synced our modern world. And so time is this this agreed-upon thing, this very public thing. And, And as we zoom in a little further from the globe to our little corner of it in America, we see that we are shaped and regulated by civic time, by by secular time, by the national calendar that we have, right? So tomorrow morning, millions of us across the country are going to celebrate work by not going to work. (laughs) That's time. That's time. That, that is regulated by that. And so because the American government celebrates this labor movement, we're all going to, I'm going to enjoy my holiday. And this is something that we can predict. It has a lot of repetition to it year after year. Uh, we can predict that on a Sunday morning like this, typically it'll be a little thinner attendance-wise because of Labor Day weekend. Uh, so, so for better or for worse, uh, that's the way that secular national time shapes us. And so, let's take another holiday, for example. Fourth of July. What can we say about the Fourth of July? How does that time, that rhythm, shape us? How does it direct our desires and our hearts? Well, one thing about the Fourth of July is that's probably one of the only days of the year that I'm going to maybe take a little bit of extra care to actually wear certain colors in my outfit. I'm probably going to wear some kind of muted red, maybe some blue shorts or something, uh, which, by the way, is also St. Patrick's Day. This is a a 24-hour period of time every year where we believe we have the license to pinch each other (laughs) if we're not wearing green. That is regulated by time. It's a cultural idiosyncrasy affected and perpetuated by the rhythm of time that we have. And so uh, we don't even have time this morning to, to zoom in further to talk about state, to talk about city, about the way that workplace shapes our view of time, the home, the way that Netflix, all these kind of things have an impact on how time forms and shapes our decisions and therefore our desires, our wants, our loves. So, I want to continue this morning, and I want to ask the question, for us as the church, 
is there another way to view time? Is there another rhythm that we can live into? Is there another way that we can order ourselves and orient ourselves to time? You know, and, and in no way am I condemning holidays. I, I think that's a great thing. Like I said, I'm going to enjoy, enjoy Labor Day tomorrow. But, but I'm asking, what if we let our desires be shaped by another rhythm? Enter the Christian year. This is a graphic that I, I utilized uh, last year during Advent when we were celebrating it, to talk about liturgical time, uh, to talk about the church year, the Christian year. And I found it so helpful that I want to I draw attention to it again. Uh, and so if you're wondering what is the Christian year, what am I looking at here, Brett? The Christian year is a centuries-old way that the church has ordered time around the story of God and his people. The, the Christian year liturgical time is the way that the church has oriented and ordered time around the story of God and his people. So instead of basing time on the academic calendar, instead of basing time around the requirements of the Internal Revenue Service, the Christian year organizes time around the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Let's dig a little deeper for a second. Look closely and you'll see that it's divided into two different parts. It's divided into something called ordinary time, that bottom half which tells the story of God's people. And then the top half, something sometimes called extraordinary time, tells the story of Jesus Christ. So it begins with Advent and we move through to Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, Pentecost, and so forth. And so for Christians, according to the, the church calendar, New Year's Day is not January 1st. For Christians, New Year's Day is the first Sunday of Advent. Right? We've celebrated this uh, a few years in a row. We've, we've celebrated Advent, this time of anticipation, this time that actually calls us back to the advent, the arrival, and the expectation of the arrival of Jesus the Messiah. And so Advent draws us back to that time, but at the same time, Advent is intended to draw us forward to the second Advent, the second coming arrival of Jesus Christ when he finishes the work that God started. So, so we see that there is this stretching aspect of Christian time, of the church calendar, right? That the church calendar, I'd love to go into the other parts of the seasons, but I think it's more important to, to focus in right here on Advent and this idea of pulling us backwards and forwards. Because what the church calendar tells us is that Christians are a stretched people. Christians are a stretched people. You see, we have this, this onslaught of secular time that sort of pins us to the present, right? It kind of pins us to the present. It's this, this Twitter feed time, this, this cable news calendar. It's just kind of this, this onslaught, this barrage of event after event after event, and so Christians don't reject the present, of course not. We, we have to take every day as the Lord gives it. 
But what it means is that we never interpret the present outside of the lenses of memory and hope. It means that we always interpret the present as a stretched people backwards to the coming of Jesus Christ, the actual moment in human history when God touched our history. And it stretches us forward to the time when he will come again and put things right. So, put another way, worship calls us to recollect and expect. Worship calls us to recollect and expect. As we recollect Jesus and all that he did, recollect the acts of God's deliverance and salvation throughout human history, we also expect God's final acts of salvation and deliverance at the end of all things. And so the purpose of the Christian calendar is to point us to that recollection and expectation, to to live us into those rhythms of the gospel, to live into the rhythms, to walk according to the birth, life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are a stretched people who recollect and expect. Now, I don't want you to hear this morning as some kind of sales pitch for the Christian year. You know, the purpose of you are what you love is not to, to put this forward as, as something that we are obligated to do as Christians. But Ben and I, as we were talking, we, we wanted to, to ask that, you know, as we are shaped by time, We have to recognize that some kind of rhythm of time is going to shape us, is going to point our desires and our loves. So perhaps there is a better way that Christians can live into the rhythm of God's goodness. That perhaps the the church calendar can be a resource for us. You know, that, that the church, the Christian calendar, the view of time is, is not an end in itself, but that it is an instrument that we can use to try and help us live closer to the rhythms of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's an instrument for locating us in the story and movement of God's people. Uh, if you're a uh, fan of the Harry Potter series, then uh, you might remember that the character Ron Weasley, his, his family has this clock, this um, kind of special clock that hangs in the living room of their house, the burrow. And the Weasley clock is, like many things in Harry Potter, quite magical. And it's not like other clocks. You see, instead of two hands, uh, the Weasley clock has nine golden hands, one for each member of their family. And instead of hours, in place of hours on the face of the clock, the Weasley clock has different locations. So so it has places like home, school, work, hospital, prison, uh, even designations like traveling, lost, or mortal peril. And so... In one of the books, Harry reflects on, on his admiration for this clock, that it's, it's not a clock that helps you telling regular time, or we might say muggle time, but it's a clock that helps you with other information. 
that the Weasley clock is, is a locational clock. It tells you where you are, where your brothers and sisters are, where you're going. So it's not uh, concerned with this frantic ticking of regular time. It's concerned with the state you're in. It's concerned, concerned with what you're doing, who you're with, and where you're going in the world. So, in other words, it's, it's an enchanted clock for an enchanted people, a people living by different information according to a different rhythm. And isn't that just a little bit like the Christian year? The church doesn't march to the predictable tick of consumerist culture. It doesn't march from, from one purchase to the next It's not concerned with the demands of the secular calendar. Instead, liturgical time locates you in the story and movement of God and His people. It locates you in the story and movement of God and His people. So the Christian year is about taking stock of your soul's location. It's about expectation, celebration. It's about repentance and reflection. The season of Lent, for instance, is a time where we are called to repent, called to take stock of our soul's location, where we are, where we're going. It's spiritual health and called to recommit ourselves in the battle against sin and death. So the Christian year is a clock concerned with the state of your soul what you're doing, who you're with, where you're going. It's an enchanted clock in a disenchanted world. It locates you in the story and movement of God and his people. So I want to close this morning, church, with the same question with which we began. Why do we do this? Why do we come here week after week Sunday upon Sunday, season after season? Why do we spend this time praying, singing, preaching, confessing? Why do we recollect and expect the deeds of God? Well, I would say that it's not, it's because Christians view time not simply as a commodity to be spent. Time is not simply a commodity, but time is also a calling, and it's a calling to the person of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the gravitational center of time. Jesus Christ is the meaning of time, that as fully God and fully man, He is the intersection of time and eternity. He is the the meeting, the collision of heavenly time and earthly time. The the meeting, the touching of heavenly time, higher time, and human time. That Jesus Christ points us not to, to some renaissance as the center of human history, not to the enlightenment, not to the year 2000, but that Jesus Christ points us to the center of human history, the cross and resurrection the gospel, the cross where, where Jesus puts to death the sins of the world, where Jesus Christ points us to the purpose of time and the resurrection where he defeats the entropy of human existence, the sin and death and decay that we find ourselves in. 
Uh, as one theologian puts it, the time of Jesus Christ takes the place of our time. Coming to us as a glad message, presented to us as a promise, and to be seized and lived in by us. Christian worship invites us to live into the rhythms of Jesus' life, to recollect and to expect. And to, to live according to the rhythms of the gospel. So I just want to ask you, have you allowed yourselves to be stretched by God's time? Stretched backwards to what he has done and stretched forwards to what he will do? Have you allowed yourself to be touched by the truly present spirit of the risen Jesus Christ? Perhaps he's calling you. I think he is. Church, I want to ask you to come and live according to the rhythm of the gospel. Come live according to the intersection of time and eternity and the meaning of it in Jesus Christ. Let's stand and praise him together.